are under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no one who is righteous, not even one. There is no one who has understanding. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. There is no one who shows kindness. There is not even one. Their throats are open graves. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of vipers is under their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery are in their paths. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For no human being will be justified in his sight by deeds prescribed by the law. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now, irrespective of, the, of law, the righteousness of God has been disclosed and is, and is attested by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are now justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a sacrifice of atonement by his blood, effective through faith. He did this to show his righteousness because in his divine forbearance he passed over the sins previously committed. It was to prove at the present time that he himself is righteous and that he justifies the one who has faith in Jesus. The word of God for the people of God. Looking through the news headlines this week, there's been a lot going on. Do you, do you guys watch the news? Do you look at it or do you, do you just sort of disengage because there's too much? Both are valid options. Um, I want to just throw out some of the things that I saw in the news this week. The Confederate flag came down, which is lovely. But there's been rally by the KKK every day since that point. There was a shooting on a military base. Um, There was a pastor in Michigan named Benjamin who was removed from ministry for being gay. There was an executive um, from Planned Parenthood that was caught on a secret tape. um, And there was outrage by how callous she seemed to be from speaking about um, the tissue of, of children who have been aborted, or of, of fetuses who have been aborted. And so far this weekend, as of last night, there have been 12 shootings in the city of Chicago. You don't need to read the first couple of lines of scripture to understand our human condition of sin in the world, right? We don't need to read those first five lists of scripture to see that um, humanity... That, that, that this world is not as it should be. That we are a broken people. That how we live in this world is not the world that God envisions, right? You, we don't need to read the first couple of lines of Romans to know that. We, we can just read the headlines of the news to see that. Um, <clears throat> so that's what we're going to talk about today. But before we do that, I want to invite you into prayer. Holy and gracious God, 
You are the love that will not let us go. You are the love that opens our ears and eyes to the world around, to the workings of our heart. Open us now to the hearing of your scripture reading, to the hearing of my words that my study this week will be a reflection of your righteousness and that our ears might hear what you envision for this world. Amen. So, I think, when I look at the news headlines today, this week, that it's not some sort of uh, evil spirit that is causing all of this sin in the world. I think that it is us. Within each person in this room, um, we have great capacity for destruction and failure and harm. And also within each person in this room, we have great capacity for goodness and justice and mercy. In the books and in the movies, you know, there's usually a villain and a hero. And one is all bad and one is all good. But the reality is all of us are each villain and hero. We have the capacity for that at least. And it is uh, when we choose destruction, we see what happens in the world. And when we choose good, it is a reflection of Christ working in us on the path of salvation. So salvation is the framework that um, I want to talk about sin in today. Salvation is actually the framework that I want to talk about um, our new sermon series that we started last week. And Preston just, he started us off so great. I, I was so thankful to be able to hear the podcast of that this week because I was in River North preaching last week. Um, he uh, introduced us to Road Trip Through Romans and talked about how um, some of us have grown up with the Romans Road, right? This idea of, of what salvation means and how maybe we can kind of lift that up and, and examine a new way. So I want to invite you to this new conversation on salvation, to, to sort of reclaim this word, and actually also to reclaim the word sin. We're gonna talk, I'm so excited to talk about sin today. I, I didn't even think that that was possible, but I am. So we want to reclaim these things and, and not talk about them in a narrow version of salvation saving you from hell and your personal vices, but as an opportunity for life. And so I want to offer you a definition. If you're a note-taking kind, write this down. If you're a mental uh, you know, kind, put, imprint this in your brain. This is the through line that I want to look at Road Trip Through Romans with. Salvation is the lifelong process of Christ working in you to bring about freedom, authenticity, and wholeness. I'm going to say that again. I'm going to say it a different way. Kind of the same, but different. Salvation is the lifelong process of Christ working in you to make you more free, to free you from the sin of your life, to make you more whole, to heal you from the brokenness that you've experienced in your life, and to make you more authentic, to help you live in that imagined vision of who God has called you to be. Freedom, authenticity, and wholeness. And it is a lifelong process. All right. So what's salvation? 
Yeah. All right, we got it all together. Everybody's shouting out a little different. Um, and this has personal implications, and that's what we're going to talk about a lot today, the personal implications of what salvation means for you personally in your life. But also, this salvation, this lifelong process of Christ working in you to bring about freedom, authenticity, and wholeness, has cosmic implications. And we're going to p- talk about that in, um, in future weeks. But it has cosmic implications, because you can, can you imagine what this world would be like if each of us engaged fully in the process of salvation, each of us said, all right, Christ, have at it. Work in my life. What that would mean in the world. Can you imagine the reality, the vision of the kingdom of God coming into fruition if we were fully engaging this process? So we're going to talk about that more in later weeks, but today I want to deal just with you, just with me, just with this human condition. We often miss the mark when it comes to God's vision for this world. Um, and it's sin. That's, uh, if, if, we, if we get back to the root of the Hebrew word for sin, it is literally an ancient Hebrew archery term for missing the mark. So if you can imagine, missing the bullseye. So if you can imagine shooting a bow and arrow. I've been watching once that TV show. I just discovered it. Anybody seen it? Um, it's about fairy tales. It's on Netflix. You should watch it. Waste your time. Um, and they shoot bows and arrows a lot because it's in like fairy tale land. And if you can imagine a bullseye, and you take the arrow, and you take it back, and you, and it hits the bullseye, right? Anything else that's not hitting the bullseye, God's vision for this world of freedom, authenticity, and wholeness, is missing the mark. You can still hit the target, which is good. But sin is not hitting that bullseye. Okay? So it's an archery term. It's missing the mark. Um, and many of us, we have baggage with the word sin. I'm trying to say it a lot today to kind of like lift it. Does anybody have baggage with the word sin? Maybe it's just me. Okay. Yeah, and I think the baggage comes from a couple of different places. Um, some of us have been raised in traditions where we have heard about sin so much. We are shamed by it. We are tired of it. We're like, we know we're all sinners, you know, and, and we're tired of that sort of shame and guilt. And some of us have come from a tradition where, like, we actually didn't talk about sin very much. We didn't want to talk about it. We'd maybe um, whisper it, sin. And so we think, well, if we've survived this long without talking about it, why start now? Right? <laughs> but I think it's important to talk about sin Barbara Brown Taylor, is a, um, she is a theologian, an author, a preaching professor, a farmer, and um, she wrote a book uh, probably about 10 years ago. It's just a 70 to 80 page book. I highly recommend it. It's called um, Speaking of Sin. Um, and we're talking about sin today because as she says, it is the lost language of salvation. It's the lost language of salvation. Um, if, we, if we don't talk about sin, then this whole message, this whole good news of forgiveness and God's redeeming love, it's really weak. Right? If we don't talk about sin, then we have abandoned God's vision for this world. We've just accepted the reality of here and now. 
if we don't talk about sin, we don't have the possibility to talk about God's imagined reality for this world. So we're talking about it. So in this book, uh, Barbara Brown Taylor outlines three different models for sin. If you've been in starting point, you, I'm sorry, you're going to... Don't let your eyes glaze over, but I, they might, because we've talked about this in starting point. The first model that she offers is um, the medical model of sin. And these, uh, the three models that I'm going to offer are all biblical. You know, the Bible, you know, people talk about it being the authoritative word. Um, it is the authoritative word, and it says a lot of different things. So these three models are all a little bit different, and they're all biblical. These three models have all been in Christian traditions. So the first model of the medical model. Um, in the medical model, sin is not called sin, it's called sickness. And in this medical model, that means that, you know, when you're sick, you're not responsible for being sick, right? Like cancer, it just happens, right? We don't choose it. Um, so in the medical model, sickness is not our fault. It just is out of our control, right? Sin is out of our control. Um, and so the reaction to sin is diagnosis and treatment, right? And the church often in this model operates uh, like a clinic or a hospital. Um, it is full of compassion and mercy. It's good stuff, right? <clears throat> then there's the legal model. I teach this in starting point, so I was just about to say, are there any questions about the medical model? But you'll have to approach me. Then there's the legal model. And in the legal model, sin is called crime. Um, and people are responsible for the crimes they commit. Right? You have a choice. You can either avoid crime or you don't. And we often choose crime. Crime, then, is fully part of our control. It is our fault. Right? And the reaction to crime is to name it and to punish it. Uh, and churches, then, operate as courts. Right? And they are all about judgment and responsibility. Just out of curiosity, how many of you came from a medical model church? Okay. How many of you came from the legal model church? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I, I feel like we have more legal model people in here than medical. I, just like in the one-on-ones I've done with you all. Do those kind of make sense, though? You're like, oh, yeah, that's my childhood. Both of these, like I said, are biblical, but they're incomplete. You know when I'm going to give you three choices, it's always the third choice I want you to think about, right? They're incomplete. The theological model is the model she offers. And in the theological model, we call sin, sin. We don't need a new word for it. We can use words to help explain it and to describe it, but sin is an ancient word, and we can keep that. <clears throat> And in the theological model, we understand that sin is paradoxical. At times, we are quite responsible for the sins we commit. And at other times, we're trapped by them. We're trapped by it. It's out of our control. So sometimes sin is within our control. 
but sometimes it's not. And in this model, churches operate as communities of transformation. We recognize that uh, we must live in these murky waters of all four of those things. Compassion, like the medical model, but also responsibility, like the legal model, right? Mercy, like the medical model, but also judgment. And those are murky waters, right? But we have to hold all of those in tension together as a church. That's the kind of community that I want this place to be, a place that can have honest conversations, a place that can be full of compassion and mercy, right? So theological model. What does all of this have to do with salvation? Quite a lot, actually. Um, In today's passage, we see that Paul offers, reminds us, that Christ is the antidote to sin, right? Um, And the antidote for both Jews and Gentiles, meaning for everyone, for anyone who has faith. He talks about the law, and the law historically that Paul has talked about has has helped the community to see sin, right? Has helped the community to know, like, it acts as a plumb line. This is where, this is the world that God envisions. And here's where we are. Right? So the law is helpful in diagnosis, right? in seeing where we are not, and seeing how we have fallen short. It shows us God's desire. But the problem is that if we just try to follow the law, then we're working on legal compliance. Right? It's like a legal compliance thing. Like, oh, let's make a list of vices and then not do those things. Right? And the thing is, God doesn't want you to be compliant God wants your heart, right? God wants you. So salvation, remember that lifelong process of Christ working in you to bring you toward freedom, authenticity, and wholeness, is allowing Christ to infect every aspect of our being. I use that word, in fact, we think it's a bad word, right, when it comes to germs and contagination. (laughs) My medical person over there is like, yes. But what what would happen if we allowed Christ to infect every aspect of our being? I think the process of salvation, right? And when we do that, we, transformation happens. Right? We are changed. We are not, if you are the person, uh, one year from now, if you are the same person as you were a year ago, Christ is not infecting every aspect of your being. Even just a, like a little change, you know, just the tiniest thing. And that change is us becoming more righteous. See, the scripture says, we think that we can like, follow these lists of do's and don'ts, and that when we follow that list, we will be righteous. Right? But what Paul is saying is, righteousness comes from God. It comes from our faith in Christ in that process of transformation. And as we are changed, as we allow Christ to infect us and remove the sin that we have, remove the, you know, Allow, allow that arrow to get closer to the bullseye. God's righteousness shows up in us. Right? It starts from the inside out. So, uh, 
Ruby is so excited I'm telling this story today. Um, she has a book called, and again, this, I, I've told this in starting point too, so I'm sorry if you, um, no, nobody's going to want to join starting point because I'm giving away all my stuff. Uh, she has a book called Frog and Toad, Best Friends Forever. It is a simple, simple storybook. And almost every single one of the stories in that book is, I'm like, this is an adult book. <laughs> this is a book of wisdom. She has a story, um, it's called The Cookies. And do you know this? Yes. And it's about Frog and Toad, they're best friends, and Frog has made a batch of cookies. And Toad comes over to the house and Frog says, Toad, I've made these cookies, let's have some. And they start eating the cookies. And you know how it is when you've got fresh homemade cookies, that just eating them, get a big glass of milk. <laughs> and uh, suddenly, I can't remember if it's Frog or Toad, but they say, we need to stop eating these cookies. You know, you know how that is, right? Eating too many cookies. And yes, we do, as they grab another cookie and start munching on it. How can we stop eating these cookies, Toad says, as he grabs another cookie and munches on it. And Frog says, what we need is willpower. And grabs another cookie and starts munching on it. (laughs) What is willpower, Toad says. Willpower, Frog says, as he grabs another cookie, is not doing something that you don't want to do. Oh, says Toad as he grabs another cookie and eats it. So Frog gets out a box, and he dumps the rest of the plate into the box, and he shuts it. And he says, there, now we have willpower. And Toad says, but Frog, I can just open up that box and get some more cookies and eat them. So Frog takes a piece of string, and he ties it up around the box. He said, there, now we have willpower. And Toad is like, Frog, I can just untie that string and open up the box and eat the cookies. So Frog gets out a ladder, and he takes the box, and he climbs up the ladder and puts it on the tallest shelf in the kitchen. And Toad says, Frog, I can just climb up that ladder, get the box down, untie the string, open the box, and eat the rest of the cookies. Frog thinks about this, and he climbs up in the ladder. He grabs the box. He unties the string. He opens the box. He goes outside, and he throws the box up in the air, the cookies up in the air, and he says, Here, birds, have some cookies. And he turns to to Toad, and he says, Now we have willpower. (laughs) And Toad says, You can keep your willpower. I'm going home to bake a cake. Good story, right? See, the old way of thinking is that if we have enough willpower, if we have enough willpower, we can stop from sinning. But as Christians, we know that the only way we can fix ourselves is by letting go, letting go of control and taking the cookies and throwing them up into the air and saying, have at it, Christ. Save me. And we can only do that because we trust that God likes us, that God knows us, fully knows us, looks 
at who we are and who we desire to be and loves us. We can only do this because we know, as Richard Rohr says, that each of us has an incurable wound at the heart of everything. And it is in in offering that up to Christ that we will see transformation and change in our lives. There's a priest named Anthony DeMello. Um, He died a few years back, but um, he has written loads and loads of wisdom. And I want to share this short little story. He says, for years, I was, I was neurotic for years. I was anxious and depressed and selfish. And everyone kept telling me to change. And everyone kept telling me how neurotic I was. And I resented them. And I agreed with them. And I wanted to change but I couldn't bring myself to change no matter how hard I tried. What hurt the most was that my best friend also kept telling me how neurotic I was. He, too, kept insisting that I change. And I agreed with him, too, though I couldn't bring myself to resent him. And I felt so powerless and so trapped. Then one day he said to me, don't change. Stay as you are. It really doesn't matter whether you change or not. I love you just as you are. I cannot help loving you. These words sounded like music to my ears. Don't change. Don't change. Don't change. I love you. And I relaxed. And I came alive. And oh, wondrous marvel, I changed. Salvation is the path to transformation. And that sin, or maybe the 85 sins that we all carry around, the ones that are keeping you from fully knowing God, if you let it, if you let him, Christ will be working within you 